Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you're listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary. I hope that this podcast will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. Today, I am speaking with Father Benedict LaVolpe, who is the rector of the National Shrine of St. Maximilian Kolbe in Libertyville, Illinois. And today, he's going to share with us about the shrine there in Illinois and about St. Maximilian Kolbe, whose feast day is August 14th. So welcome to How They Love Mary, Father Benedict. Thank you, Father Looney. It's a pleasure being here. Thank you so much. It's, uh, we've known each other for a few years now since you've arrived at Marytown. During the summers, I regularly came to Mass over there at the National Shrine of St. Maximilian Colby because I was a student at Mundelein and I would come for the early morning Mass. It kind of worked with my schedule. And when I was a seminarian at Mundelein, Marytown and the National Shrine of St. Maximilian Colby was always a, a delight to visit, of course, because of the perpetual adoration. And I'm sure that we'll talk a little bit about that. Now, as we continue on in our conversation today, listeners are going to detect that you have an, what we would call an accent, that you yes. have <laughs> an Australian accent. So you are a friar of the uh, Order of Conventual Franciscans, and you're from Australia, but you're serving here in the United States at the National Shrine of St. Maximilian Colby. How did you get here? Ah, uh, yes, a, a wonderful thing called a vow of obedience, I have to say. Um, yes, I, I am from Australia, from an Italian family, and uh, I've, uh, you know, born and bred in Australia, and I lived my whole life there except for five years when I was a student in Rome, and when I did my novitiate, actually, in California uh, 24 years ago. Um, but, um, yes, you know, the Australian friars are only a small group, so it's not a, what we would call a province. So, in fact, in one of those sort of quirks of um, conventional Franciscan administration, the Australian Friars all belong to the Chicago province. So, in 2018, when we had our uh, provincial chapter, I was uh, nominated and elected as the rector and guardian of Marytown. And so I said goodbye uh, to a parish that I had looked after as pastor for nine years, packed my bags and made my way to Libertyville, Illinois. And you moved into Marytown and to the National Shrine of St. Maximilian Colby. Now, we use these two different names, I think, to talk about the place where you are, where you are the rector and guardian. So why is it, you know, the National Shrine of St. Maximilian Colby, why is it called Marytown? What's this all about? Well, that's a a very good question because, you know, as a National Shrine of St. Maximilian Colby, it's only been a National Shrine since the year 2000 when the uh, United States Bishops Conference uh, gave us that uh, that official title. It's called Marytown, um, and it's been called Marytown since uh, we started Marytown in 1948. Uh, not here, obviously, in this campus. Uh, when you talk about where we are today, we're talking about two different histories here. Obviously, the history of the Benedictine Sisters of Perpetual Adoration, uh, where Cardinal, Cardinal Mundlein built this beautiful shrine, the Benedictine Shrine of Perpetual Adoration, for them to pray for vocations, to pray for the seminarians next door, Mundelein Seminary, and to pray for the priests of the Archdiocese of Chicago. Uh, the good Benedictine sisters left here in 1978, and we took over the, this campus in 1979. Uh, but Marycan itself started in 1948, uh, first at uh, Crystal Lake and then for 30 years in Kenosha, um, and then it was moved here in 1979. And it's called Marytown because um, St. Maximilian Colby himself founded the first Marytown, or the City of the Immaculata, near Fukulanov, near Warsaw, in Poland. 
Maximilian Kolbe founded the second uh, city of the Immaculate in uh, Nagasaki in Japan. Um, now, he didn't found this merry town, uh, but actually a good friend of his, Father Dominic Schmansky, who was a member of this province, uh, started Merry Town as a setting Crystal Lake and then Kenosha uh, to follow the very same example that Maximilian Kolbe had begun in, um, in uh, Poland and in, in Japan. So we consider this the third city of the Immaculate. And, uh, um, yeah, that's why it's called Marytown. It's always been called Marytown uh, since the friars have been here. And uh, as part of Marytown, we also have the National Shrine of St. Maximilian Kolbe. So that's a long way of sort of uh, yeah, answering your question. <laughs> now, we've been talking about St. Maximilian Kolbe, and somebody who's listening probably could be thinking, well, who is St. Maximilian Kolbe? Why should I care about him? What's his significance and importance? So could you just give maybe a, a little biographical sketch about St. Maximilian Kolbe, to whom this shrine and vision of Marytown was founded after? Well, yes, of course. Well, so St. Maximilian Kolbe um, was uh, born in 1894 in Poland and became a conventional Franciscan friar. Uh, you know, he was uh, a student in Rome. While he was a student in Rome in the early 1900s, in fact, about 19. 14 or around that period he um uh was uh well, a very intelligent young man in fact he did two doctorates one in philosophy and one in theology but he was also taken by the great masonic movement that was happening in rome at the time and during that time he founded uh the crusade of mary immaculate or the militia immaculate uh, and the knights of the immaculate um to sort of be a prayerful force in fighting uh, the darkness that was trying to enter uh, the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Um, after studying in Rome, he was sent back to Poland. Um, and he, as I said, he, he started this house called the City of the Immaculate. Now, the interesting thing about this is that when Maximilian Kolbe uh, founded this house and this convent and this sh uh, shrine of the, of the Immaculata, at its peak, just before the Second, Second World War, that friary had over 800 religions. It was the largest religious house of any sort um, at, the, at that time. And in fact, it really refounded our order as well, which had shrunk in great numbers um, after the, you know, the various histories of Europe in the 1800s. So um, he sort of gave our whole order, the conventional Franciscan order, a great impulse through that uh, city of the Immaculate. Now, he then was a missionary in Japan and did the exact same work in Japan in the early 19, in the 1920s and early 1930s until he was sent back to Poland. And during the outbreak of the Second World War, you know, the Nazis, of course, had attacked uh, Poland. We all know that Crystal Mark. And um, uh, Maximilian and many of the other friars were arrested. He was taken to Auschwitz. And it's the incredible story to Auschwitz that sort of uh, cements the beautiful history of Maximilian Kolbe, who was already a great and saintly man, who had written volumes on the Immaculata. Uh, but, you know, there was that fateful day in, uh, in 1941, when a member of his, um, his cell block um, weren't counted and therefore uh, men were taken to, to, be, um, uh, to be punished and, of course, to be, uh, to be, to be killed. Uh, one of them was Francisca Gonicek, um, who cried out, you know, my, my wife, my children. Maximilian Kolbe saw that and so he took that man's place and therefore he was also sent to the starvation bunker. Interestingly, he was in the starvation bunker for two weeks. All the men had died by this stage. On the 14th of August, 1941, uh, they were basically 
sick and tired of him still being in the starvation bunker, so he was injected with carbolic acid and killed immediately on the vigil of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So that's his life in a nutshell. One of the most beautiful stories, of course, is from his childhood, where he had a great vision of the Blessed Mother when he was uh, praying. He was praying in the chapel uh, near his home, and I think the words were, uh, what is to become of me? The Blessed Mother appeared to him with two crowns, a white crown of purity and the red crown of martyrdom. And she basically asked him, which do you choose? And he, in his great sort of moment of ecstasy before the Immaculata, said, I choose both. And indeed, he was to live both. A curious anecdote to that is that, you know, when he was beatified uh, in 1971, I believe, he was beatified, of course, as a confessor in white vestments by Pope uh, St. Paul VI. Interestingly enough, when he was canonized by Pope St. John Paul II, another saintly pope, he was canonized as a martyr of charity in red vestments. So his beatification was a white beatification, and his canonization was a red canonization, just like the two crowns that the Blessed Mother um, gave to him during his childhood. Wow, I didn't realize that that was, that was something that took place, and it's really the fulfillment of that prophecy, that dream then that he experienced. And it's funny because I was actually going to direct you uh, in our conversation to tell that story right after you're done sharing, and, and you went right into it. And so I, it's like we both were on the same wavelength and the same page, and you mentioned that he died on August 14th, and we know that August 15th is the Feast of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. It's a holy day of obligation, typically. But in our life of COVID-19, it's really a holy day of non-obligation because there is no (laughs) obligation right now to attend Mass. And it's on a Saturday this year. But I always like to think that St. Maximilian Kolbe's feast day is uh, like a tailgate party. So being from Green Bay, Wisconsin, loving the Green Bay Packers, that (laughs) we go to the games and we tailgate, we, you know, have food and drink, and then we go to the game. And it's kind of like a a nice little preparation to celebrate the Immaculata, who is assumed body and soul into heaven. And that's another term that we've been using, the Immaculata. He had the city of the Immaculata. He called her the Immaculata. Now, someone might say, like, what does that mean? And could, could you just give a little definition of Immaculata? Well, you know, as Franciscan friars, we always refer to the Blessed Mother uh, in her role, in her title of the Immaculate Conception. And I'll tell you why, because it was the great uh, Blessed John Don Scotus who gave us a beautiful teaching in the early 1300s uh, of uh, the, the teaching of the dogma of the Immaculate Conception, which was then, of course, made dogma um, later on. Um, so as Friars, she's always referred to in a very filial way as the Immaculata. In fact, um, our beautiful new constitutions remind us of the golden thread uh, that carries from St. Francis of Assisi through St. Bonaventure and St. Anthony through to Blessed John Scotus, all the way to Maximilian Kolbe, our great saints in the Franciscan order who have always uh, been champions of the dogma of the Immaculate Conception. In a, in a sweet way, as Franciscans, we kind of say she's ours <laughs> because... Um, um, it was because of Blessed John Don Scotus that we had the beautiful dogma of the Immaculate Conception. And therefore, that's the kind of, um, as I said, almost the sweet uh, filial name that we give to Blessed Mary. We, we refer to her as the Immaculata. In fact, Maximilian Kolbe 
almost always refers to her as the Immaculata himself. So, yeah. There are these two volumes of the writings of St. Maximilian Kolbe. They probably total each volume itself, maybe a thousand pages or more. They're very thick. They're hardcover. Some of them are the letters. Some of them are his theology. So he wrote a lot. He had a magazine that he printed called the Immaculata Magazine. And I guess maybe as we talk about Maximilian Kolbe on this podcast, How They Love Mary, knowing that he had a great love for her, what do you think is one of his most single and important contributions to Marian devotion? Well, um, both, I think both theological and practical. I think in practical sense, you know, the founding of the militia of the Immaculata uh, was very important and using the miraculous medal as a true weapon um, that he, as he refers to, um, the weapon of grace. Um, the militia of the Immaculata has only grown and developed since its foundation on 16th of October 1917. Uh, it's now a, a, a group, it's now an association led by the laity, um, and uh, internationally it's a, a very big association. Of course, we have a chapter right here um, at Marytown, and there are many chapters around the United States as well. If you go to, I think it's uh, missionimmaculata.com, uh, you'll be able to get a lot of information about the MI. So that was a practical uh, thing that Maximilian Kelby gave to the church. But his theology, his great theology, as you said, I found in those two voluminous books uh, of all his letters and writings. And, uh, you know, one of the main things that uh, Maximilian Kolbe has uh, given to the church, uh, his Mariology, is regarding her as the mediatrix. Now, that's a title that gets a little bit of bad press sometimes. But, uh, you know... Um, uh, he, he, um, he, he writes in such a loving way. I just want to read very quickly a, a beautiful letter he wrote um, from Nagasaki in 1935. He's answering, a, um, he's answering one of the friars, I think, back in Nepokolano. He, uh, he says, Dear Charles, you write, I cannot reconcile these two things in my soul, namely loving Jesus and Mary at the same time. Then he says, How were you able to love your father and mother at the same time? In addition to that, your brothers and sisters as well. Surely our aim is God, the most holy trinity, but this does not impede us from loving God the Father as God the Father, God the Son as God the Son, and the Holy Spirit as the most holy spirit, Jesus as Jesus, the mother of God as the mother of God, and one's own father and mother and relatives and angels and saints and all men. And clearly not one after the other, but everyone at the same time. It's just that we can't think about everyone at the same time. This does not impede us truly loving everyone and at the same time. So, you know, he has this great understanding of the role of Mary in salvation history, the great role of Mary always leading us to Jesus. I think Maximilian is a great follow-on from St. Louis Grignon de Montfort, you know, um, to Jesus through Mary, and he kind of develops that in a very theological way in all of his letters and writings as well. And as you said, his, his um, wonderful um, magazine, which was Richesh, uh in, um, in Poland, and believe it or not, he also, a week after arriving in Nagasaki, began the same magazine in Nagasaki with Japanese lettering. A man who could not speak a word of Japanese, but where there's a will, there's a way. Wow. And you're the rector of the National Shrine of St. Maximilian Kolbe. You have a little devotional area there that when people come to Marytown, you have some relics there. You have a statue of him. So people express their devotion to St. Maximilian Kolbe. There's a little museum downstairs uh of the of the con of the monastery of the of the friary if you yeah. will and uh 
as you've come here then to the United States from Australia to take on this role as rector of, of the National Shrine of St. Maximilian Kolbe in Marytown, what's one way that you've been inspired by St. Maximilian Kolbe? Uh, and that, yes, very much so. You know, as a friar, I've been a friar for nearly 25 years. And so, um, you know, I've always had a great love for the Blessed Mother. Oh, well, so I thought. You know, I, 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 I like to think I've had a great love for the Blessed Mother. And also for St. Maximilian Colby as well, you know, being one of the great conventional Franciscan saints. But through until I was asked to come here as a rector of, you know, the National Shrine of Maximilian Colby, I thought, oh, I better learn a little bit more about who this person is because I'm kind of representing, you know, his spirit, his theology, his, uh, his, his whole person. Um, you know, there's one beautiful line uh, that Maximilian writes in one of the letters, and it goes something like this, and I'm just paraphrasing. He says, never be afraid to love Mary too much. You can never love her more than her own son did. A- and that, you know, that might sound simplistic and almost, you know, sickly sweet, but there's a great theology to that. You know, the one thing that Maximilian Colby has taught me is that as priests and religious, we should never be ashamed to consider ourselves to be Marian. In other words, it's part and parcel of our vocation. I often tell the story here of when I was a student in Rome, a, a lovely Maltese scribe with whom I was uh, good friends would say to me, Benedict, you know, you're very Marian. And I'd sort of say to him, well, aren't we meant to be? And to me now, really living here, that I realize that that's actually the call of every diocesan priest, religious priest, religious brother and sister. If we truly are consecrated to Jesus Christ, our loving Savior, to his most sacred heart, then ultimately, ipso facto, we have to have a great love and consecration to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, because she gave us him, and he gave her to us from the cross. Those words from the cross, from Gospel, uh, from St. John's Gospel, you know, behold your mother, we need to take those words literally. They're not just some sort of, you know, fantasy that Jesus was thinking when he was dying on the cross, you know, his last words as he was expiring. They were his last testament to us uh, as his disciples, all of us. Behold your mother. So if we do not take Mary into our home as St. John did, we're not being true disciples of Jesus. And I think that's something that St. Maximilian has taught me day in and day out here in these last two years living at Marytown. One of the things about Marytown, especially during the COVID-19, that I found very inspiring was that at Marytown, there's been this unbroken line of hours of adoring the Blessed Sacrament, of having perpetual adoration, except when there is a Mass going on in the main chapel. Now, because of COVID-19, you had to close down, in a sense. The public could not come and adore the Blessed Sacrament. But yet the the friars that lived at the that live at the friary at Marytown, you all took on several hours of adoration, you know, sporadically throughout the day, so that yeah. that continuation of Eucharistic adoration perpetually could could be ongoing, that you wouldn't break that. And I found that to be really inspiring. And I guess in these days now in which we still live with COVID-19 and everything, how has that impacted the life of the shrine and your ministry? Well, you know, uh, uh, it's a wonderful thing. Ten of the 12 friars who live here, we were able to continue perpetual adoration for those almost five months. Um, And that covers 24 hours a day, every single day. Uh, personally, I was, uh, I was given the 9 a.m. and the 4 p.m. hour 
some Fridays he obviously did three hours every day, um, including all the night hours, you know, from 1 a.m. all the way to 6 a.m. in the morning. Um, I have to say those two holy hours I've made every single day during um, the, you know, isolation period kept me sane. They kept me going. They kept me uh, with a sense of hope, that true virtue of hope. Um, you know, I kept thinking, I kept praying during my holy hours, you know, um, it's, it's going to end and soon this chapel will be filled with people again praying and adoring Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. I think it only strengthened our community. Um, I remember when I put out the sheet uh, of paper with the, the 24 hours and just uh, asked Fries to put their names down. Within five minutes, all 24 hours were covered. Um, it, I didn't have to ask anyone. I didn't have to you know, uh, sort of twist anyone's arm or anything. The Fries here are a remarkable a group of friars who are absolutely in love with Jesus and the Blessed Sacrament and absolutely in love with the Immaculata. And when you have that, even the little things at the times, you know, it can grate in you, disappear, because uh, that, at the end of the day, that's what we're here for, especially at Marytown. You've been at Marytown now for a year or two, and what have you... Yes, two years right now, actually, yes. Wow, and what, what would you say has been the biggest grace of being the rector of Marytown? Uh, well, the biggest grace is perpetual adoration. I've never lived in a, a parish. I've, I've been in parish life for 14 years, and I've never had perpetual adoration. So just um, uh, that in itself sanctifies the day, and it sanctifies the community. But um, another grace, and this might seem superficial, but the absolute beauty of the chapel and the beauty of the Art Celebrandi, the artist celebrating the Mass here at Marytown, can only lift hearts and minds to heaven. It really does. And uh, it is so beautiful. The music, um, the liturgical style, uh, all of that is a great grace as well because it keeps me centered on who I am as a priest of Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's very beautiful. And I know that Marytown is kind of like an oasis for confession, that lots of people flock there to go yes. to confession. It's so readily available to encounter God's mercy. And uh, that's another beautiful thing about Marytown that the people of the local area of the Archdiocese surely have discovered. Some of the cardinals and bishops throughout the world have talked about different shrines being uh, the confessional of their country or the confessional of Europe. And I would probably say yeah. you and St. Peter and the, on the Loop are the confessionals of the Archdiocese of Chicago, most certainly. And what you bring yeah. out about perpetual adoration and living in a place with perpetual adoration is quite beautiful. And as I've been considering as a priest doing my five-day retreat, where am I going to go? Should I go to the Carmelite sisters that are in my diocese? They have a house there. Uh, I, I've just felt really drawn to the idea of going to Marytown and to pr do my retreat there to be able to do a few hours of prayer before the exposed Blessed Sacrament. And, and that's really where I'm leaning uh, towards doing my own personal uh, retreat. And, and that's the power of perpetual adoration, as you were sharing. Indeed. And thank you for mentioning that, because um, just as a, as a side advertisement, uh, you know, we have a wonderful retreat center here at Marytown a great conference center, and a great gift shop as well. It's a, it's a remarkable place to live. It really is. It's a, a, an all-in-one package. So, uh, yes, please, I, mean, I want people to come and visit. Um, we have limited hours, 9 to 5 every day, but that's, that's good, you know. And the, but the chapel itself is open 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. So, and there's no registration needed to come and adore Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. 
That's great. And and maybe just quickly, one of the things I do with a lot of the guests uh, on this show is to talk a little bit about their Marian profile just to help build the fact that some people's devotion to Mary looks different than what your devotion might look like, but then it helps to inform us and we're inspired by each other. So um, just a few quick rapid-fire questions. Uh, what would be a favorite title of Mary or one that you're invoking perhaps in your own personal prayer right now? Believe it or not, my favorite title of Mary is the Sorrowful Mother. And one of the nice things about the Marytown Shrine is that there's this little side chapel uh, to yeah. the Sorrowful Mother, and they have the images of the of the seven sorrows of Mary, yeah. and uh, very beautiful, and plays right into your devotion there. There's lots of different sacramentals in the church. People wear sacramentals. They carry sacramentals, the rosary, miraculous medal, scapular. What would be one of your favorite Marian sacramentals that you make use of? Oh, my, my crown. I, have, I wear the Franciscan crown, which is the seven joys of the Blessed Mother. I wear it on my habit every single day. That's so my favorite piece of Marian paraphernalia. Okay, and you talk about the seven, uh, the the seven joys. I think that's the Franciscan crown, yes. and uh, that's it's very much like the rosary. That's seven decades of seven beads, or is it ten? Ten beads. So seven, seven decades of ten beads. So you pray seventy Hail Marys going through the life of of Mary and Indeed. Jesus and the joys that Mary experienced, and uh, so very yeah. similar to the Rosary. Of course, we know the Dominican Rosary that so many people pray. Uh, people yeah. sometimes find the Rosary difficult. They think it's monotonous, repetitive. They don't know if they engage it. Is there a Rosary tip or a tip for praying the Franciscan Crown uh, that you could give to maybe help people engage that prayer better? I think the most important thing when praying the rosary is always to focus on the mystery that you are praying and allow the Hail Mary to lead you through the mystery, not the other way around. Great. There's lots of passages related to Mary in the scripture. Some of the prophets foretell Mary and her role in salvation history, and then we meet her in the pages of the gospel. Uh, is there a favorite Marian passage or reference of yours? And I've already mentioned it. Yes, it's St. John's, uh, Behold your mother, behold your son. And Mary has appeared all over the world. She's appeared in my own diocese in Green Bay and Champion, yes. Wisconsin. And uh, how about a favorite Marian apparition? Uh, Fatima, through and through. There are lots of shrines to Mary throughout the world. Uh, of course, the apparition sites are shrines themselves, but there are shrines to devotional titles of Mary. Uh, is there a Marian shrine that you have visited that has left an impression on you? Uh, again, I think Fatima, yes. I, I spent quite a bit of time in Fatima, but uh, it's very much in my heart. Okay. And there's lots of books about Mary. The saints have written books about Mary. Contemporary people like myself have written books about Mary. Do you have a favorite book about the Blessed Mother that you'd recommend? Actually, um, funny enough, uh, my favorite book on, on the Blessed Mother is from Scott Hahn, The Hail Holy Queen. And lastly, as we anticipate celebrating the Feast of the Assumption, and also then we have the other Marian feast days throughout the year, the Immaculate Conception, Mary, Mother of God, and so forth, is there a Marian song that you always hope that they will sing at those Masses? Oh, there, there are many. You know, um, uh, I absolutely love the motet, the Subtum Presidium. It is probably one of my favorites. There's a Latin one, but Immaculate Mary can, can never go wrong with that. 
Sure, definitely. Yeah, with the Subtuum Presidium, that's the oldest Marian prayer uh, found on, founded on a little uh, manuscript on, on scroll uh, many, many years ago, but dated to be the earliest prayer to Mary. And I, I remember my time in Lourdes. So you've been to Fatima quite a bit. I've been to Lourdes uh, more than I can count. And and our Holy Father, Pope Francis, in the past few Octobers has asked for the Subtuum to be prayed. And uh, I remember Lourdes came up with their own kind of musical rendition of it and a very okay. beautiful one that, that I prayed with them uh, during my time there uh, in Lourdes, France. So, well, very good. That's your Marian profile, helping us to understand the great uh, Marian devotion of your own life as you've also broken open the life of St. Maximilian Kolbe. So thank you so much, Father, for joining me today on this podcast, How They Love Mary. And if people want to learn about Marytown, how can they do so? Um, simply, our website is very simple. It's colbyshrine.org. Colbyshrine, all one word, dot org. And don't you have the Perpetual Adoration feed so people can actually adore the Blessed Sacrament even from the privacy of their own home if they, if they can't make it there? Definitely. Well, you know, live streaming masses and all that is all the go at the moment, but we've actually been live streaming here for the last over four years, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So when you go to the website, you just click on the chapel webcam, and you can see the Blessed Sacrament right there and all the Masses that are celebrated, the Friars to pray morning prayer and evening prayer every day. Everything is live-streamed at 24 hours a day. And that's the great gift of media. And St. Maximilian Kolbe was a great saint that engaged the media of his time and is one of the patron saints of media, along with others, but uh, a very beautiful devotion and, and great work that Marytown is doing. So thanks again for sharing that with us today. My pleasure, Father. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary. I hope that this podcast has either been the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. You can follow me, Father Edward Looney, on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at the handle at FR Edward Looney. If you like this podcast, please rate it and review it on whatever platform you listen. It's available on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, and on Spotify, or wherever you might listen. Until next week, let us remain united in prayer to Jesus through Mary. God bless.